This is Interpreting Wine host and founder Lawrence Francis welcoming you to a special series celebrating the beauty and diversity of Slovenian wine. These episodes, recorded in September 2019, let you virtually travel with me on a personal tour organized by Moitza from Enjoy Slovenia Travel and Wine. The episodes to be released in the order in which they were recorded will let the country unfold for you in the same way that it did for me. For more information about wine tourism in Slovenia, please visit enjoy-slovenia.com. Wines from the producers featured in the series can be ordered at fineslovenianwine.com. And finally, to be in with a chance of winning a case of wines from the series, do head to interpretingwine.com slash fineslovenianwine. Today's episode of the Slovenia Travel and Wine Special comes from Sanctum Wine. Leaving Maribor, following the tasting and cellar tour, we headed north to the Slovenian Styria region and the Sanctum Cellar with Špela Sržiša, partner of Sanctum Wine's founder, Marko Podkubošek. We learn just how deep the winemaking tradition runs in the Slovenian terroir. We hear in depth the philosophy behind Sanctum, and perhaps never before has anyone described just how committed one has to be to make wine when you're trying to make the best you can. Winemaker Nick G joins us for a tasting of three wines, the Sanctum Chardonnay, the Sanctum Pinot Noir, and the Sanctum My Red, which blends Pinot Noir and Syrah. Before Spela looks ahead to the future of Sanctum. So we are a team of people. Um, there is an interesting story how we got together. Of course, it took years. Um, so my background is um, I was studying communication science, communication networks, um, working on my PhD from 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 um, communication networks. Uh, I started with IT, and besides that, I could not resist to create the first music school some 15 years ago. Then all of a sudden, I changed. I said to the guys, I said, look, I, I love to work with you, I love the projects we do, but I think music is more for me. At the same time, I started to look into jazz and blues, and I founded the first um, Atelier, music atelier for to study to to um, yeah to study jazz even if you are a beginner. So how to develop methods? I still stayed quite scientific. I love methods, developing methods, working with data, and I, I, we are succeeding pretty much now. And uh, so my musical background gave me a little bit, I would say, um, feeling for. Uh, yeah, the high notes for the higher uh, frequencies, yeah. And, um, of course, it's not only in music. It's everywhere. It's in food. It's, it's in wine as well. Mm. And once um, with a friend, uh, Marco's friend, uh, who happens to be my neighbor in Ljubljana, we visited Marco. They were friends in, in USA. Um, and when I tried a sip of... Um, Chardonnay, uh, Prestige, I said, who is this artist? And that's how we met. Mm -hmm. That's how I met Marco. Um, it's certainly 
it was more than just um, I would say wine. It's uh, you can you can see all art that surrounds you. Yeah, he has stories from all around the world working with the really most demanding clients in the corporate um, incentive uh, work. And um, of course, who is Marco? Marco was around the world eating the best, drinking the best wines, and uh, he wanted to come back, and he decided that here he will create a, a, an, an estate, um, a state of art, yeah, and um, a cellar where can be the best healthy um, wines for his own health, for his own food pairing, for his own soul and mind and everything. Yeah. Um, his, he was always comparing to the world. He was not comparing to Slovenia. His favorites were wines that he was drinking um, in Burgundy, Pinot Noir, Syrah, and Chardonnays. And um, it's not a coincidence why he came back. It is a um, backed-up story uh, from his investigation and his uh, talks with the local priest who happened to be a missionary on uh, Madagascar. And Madagascar was a French colony. And through his um, uh, church ar archives, yeah, he, he, this priest came to data about Cartesian monks. Um, of course, this knowledge was long forgotten. Here were completely different vineyards with these local varietals. And it happened that this priest was a big um, lover of Pinot Noir. And he, uh, in, he dedicated years to get out from the archives what, had, what, what was here and who Cartusians were, because they came, they came from the uh, Burgundy land. At that time, in the 10th, 11th century, Burgundian monks had the biggest know-how of winemaking at that time in Europe. And when um, the king they had, uh, they, they were sent toward this territory of uh, Austria and, and so on to, um, to spread the Cartesian religion. Um, but at the same time, one of their motives, the drives, is um, entrepreneur. And they, were very, they were very entrepreneurial. They had wine, they had uh, knowledge about herbs, about um, all these different things. Um, and when they were traveling toward east, they found out that they are on the same, how you call, parallel yeah. Yeah, of Burgundy. Yeah. First, because they were following that. So um, they found out that not only they are on the, on the same parallel, it also turned out that they found these hills here, very specific shapes, exposures, and of course, marrow. Um, so they found the terroirs that they knew from Burgundy. And of course, they had know-how how to use those terroirs. Mm -hmm. 
So slowly they brought the varieties they had there. So those three, um, um, how you call these, parat horses, yeah, of Burgundy, yeah, the Pinot Noir, Syrah, and, and, and Chardonnay. They brought it here. They made um, big cellar just in the next to the village. They built Carthusian this um, monastery, beautiful. Um, then later, I think in the 18th century, they were expelled as persona non grata here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were um, too entrepreneurial, so they stepped on the nerve of the Austrian royal family. Yeah, and. Um, that knowledge was forgotten, and the terroirs, um, the king, the, the, the royal fam- family said, okay, if you cut all the vines that they planted, you can take the territory. So this was a decree to the, to the, to the farmers here. So you can take the, 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 the land if you cut what they created, and you put whatever you want here. So that's how through a few generations this was completely forgotten and it was very difficult yeah, to get these things back. And this is what this priest did because he loved this local community um, and he loved Pinot. It happened that Marco, when he was coming from US, he was talking to this priest somehow. He was a friend of his father and um, both of them loved Pinot Noir and they were talking about that, and that priest told him the story, what he found. And um, Marco said, if this is so, you know, I will, I will not try to discover a, a warm water, that's our saying here. Um, I will use what Cartusians knew seven, eight centuries ago. Yeah? Um, so I think it's very important that um, that he basically stepped on the shoulders of the giants. So he's not something that it would come because of some uh, local attachment or some emotional mm-hmm. I- impulse, you know. It came from knowledge. It came from knowing the land. It, it came from know-how that was here long, long time ago. There were problems with bringing Syrah to this land because it's not a local varietal, um, but Marco somehow smuggled it in, um, and it was planted here ever since. Uh, his famous one, Red Barrel, is uh, 100% Syrah. The specifics here are will be explained by Nick better because it's a cool climate territories. So it means relatively cold nights and so on. So the, the wines get the spices, especially the Syrah, like uh, it's uh, um, Cotroti, uh, spicy, yeah, Syrahs in, uh, from, from Burgundy. Um, Pinots develop aromas uh, just because of these changes and because it's not so hot and it can get marmalade, it can get burnt, burnt, burned out and so on. So I started with that we are a team of people. Marco was very much selective. Uh, he wanted the best. He wanted to have the best in his glass for himself. Yeah? And um, he was looking 
for who would love Pinot as much he loves it. And uh, eventually, wrong people lead you to the right people, yeah? Mm -hmm. So there were, um, he was looking for the right, the right, and, and uh, eventually he found Nick. Nick has a great, very interesting story um, from his early age. Um, definitely uh, a, a persona, yeah, with a character. Um, so he takes care for what to put together, which barrels, which was the, the aromas, how to... And Rado, his right hand, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He is uh, doing his PhD on this viticulture, agriculture, yeah? Mm -hmm. So we all have really, um, we uh, respect knowledge and development, yeah, and um, yeah, trends. And it turns out that it's a very international team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Until now, uh, here was also a guy from, from a bit uh, north from London. Yeah, he came as a, as a right hand to Rado and, uh, and, and Nick. And it was great. He loved um, to work in the cellar, in the, in, the, in, the, in the vineyard, being very precise, very hardworking. It's, um, uh, it takes a very special character of people. And it's, you cannot necessarily find it in your local community. So you have to look more um, yeah, on many places. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's kind of a um, culture that also brings people together. That's what they respect, on what level they respect it. And that's how people stay together being creative on their own field and contribute what each can contribute. Yeah. Yeah, that felt like you bring us up to kind of kind of up to the present in in, in some senses, but there's, yes. there's more there's more yeah. <clears throat> it's present all the time, you know. <laughs> it's present because it comes from from um from a inner inner uh, uh, who Marco is, yeah, mm -hmm. what what uh, keeps him, um, what keeps the drive in him. So his motto, and people know that a lot around the world, <laughs> um, he says, you know what, no suffering. And that's basically very important, because if you want to, to, have a, to, to, to survive in a good way, yeah, you have to avoid certain things, and, and uh, suffering for sure, huh? And um, keep bringing or taking care uh, to to bring things that make you happy, that make you more relaxed, um, that make you more I don't know um, growing, yeah. And so this no suffering is it comes it comes um, it really means something, yeah. It means much more than just survival. It means it means. It brings, in, in Marco's um, sense, it, it brings the standards of, of, of uh, where he thinks uh, we can survive. And it's, um, it's, the standards are pretty high. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
And the second thing what drives him, I would say, is um, he's very simple. Sometimes he really surprises me. He says, you know, Spiller, God is good to good people. And I asked him once, how do you know you're good, you know? And that's, that's really the case, to be good today. I mean, it's not only being good. You need to be the best. And to be the best, you need to take care of your own education, yeah, of your own skills, on your own, having wide horizons, having a lot of experience, a lot of, uh, I would say, a huge um, network of, 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 I would say, information, sources, people, whatever. So, and then luck turns a little bit in your way, right? It doesn't come <laughs> just by coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this is, this is what, what drives him. Um, it took him 15 years. He was pouring wine away for 15 years, so he was satisfied. Yeah? And um, now you can see him coming home in the evening, he takes a glass, you know, and he opens his pino, yeah, or 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 this natura, you know, that he created basically for himself, and um, he enjoys. But it took 15 years for him to be, you know, to say, okay, yeah, that's for my soul, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So Sanctum came one evening when uh, Marco was sitting with, with this uh, priest, his friend, and um, they were thinking about the name, how they should name, how they should call this um, wine. Yeah? Um, he was um, able to convince um, the priest to turn the church uh, terroirs here into Pinot as well, so that they would go together into, because here the church has really great, great terroirs and exposures, yeah. So um, they were sitting one evening and uh, they were brainstorming and somehow they got this idea because this place is, as it's written here, sanctum means something secret, and something sacred, yeah, in Latin. And they thought this is just the best description, the best explanation of the, what they want to do and what they want to, to, um, to create. Um, so when he came, he basically put different the different lands together into one piece uh, to create his story of these three varietals yeah he found what it would be the terroir the best for Chardonnay um, and um, again when he was trying to figure out he knew uh, the the head of the wine cellar in Chateau Pomar, um, and they discussed 
once I think he brought the bottle of his wine there and they were drinking and the guy said you know what just send me three kilos of this soil what you have mm -hmm. and they made analysis and from then on he got uh, exactly by these grand maestros yeah what barrels to use how old um, what to plan somewhere according to analysis, what would be the best there and there. And so that's how he put um, vineyards, how his cellar um, uh, has different kind of um, barrels um, from where these barrels come. Some they come from, from France, um, they come from uh, also from Slavonia and, and so on. It depends what they found out. So again, he turned to to consult, yeah, with people who who know the business, who know the who has long experience and great reputation, yeah, in wine industry. So Sanctum is is an estate. It's a brand name. It represents. Um, uh, it, it states for the boutique winery, boutique, uh, um, very, I would say, low, uh, small production, um, artisan wine um, that was in the first, it was um, uh, a Burgundy wine cellar. So at first it was a Burgundy style, and more and more with the knowledge that Marco got and experience and, and Nick's knowledge, um, they become more confident how to do less and less intervention. Um, so basically today all the wines are, are um, with um, indigenous yeasts. Mm -hmm. So the is that come from the the, the vineyards um, with low intervention, and that's basically the Nick's philosophy. Yeah, and they're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I think it's 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 um, it's great to hear is when people that are really wine connoisseurs come. And try the wines that that uh, are here in the cellar. They can't believe that this is possible to get in Slovenia. Mm -hmm. That this is not on some really Burgundy ground. That it doesn't come from. Yeah. So it's. Uh, it, they can't believe that it's in the middle of this place. Yeah. Can be such a extraordinary Chardonnay. Or Pinots, they can level to any French, any high quality of the same variety, and that's the only reason for that is because Marco wanted that standard, that that quality of wine and aromas. He knew Pinots around the world. He knew exactly what kind of aroma of Pinot he wants here and what the cool climate can produce and what the marl can give. 
and he just went all the way and getting better every year Chardonnay we we make two Chardonnays yeah um the the classical Chardonnay is is partly done in, in oak barrel and and partly in inox and uh, then the prestige Chardonnay is totally done in barrel so um the barrel components always fermented in barrel juices going straight from the press to barrel we are not adding any yeast or anything just let it go i think um the soils here tend to tend to give us uh, and the location of the vineyards tend to give us very wines with um a strong acid backbone yeah they're driving through that acid based wines yeah uh, and uh, I think you see that expressed in the, in the glass now. So partly is fermented in, in, in oak, and part is fermented in inox, and it's aged for one year, blended together and bottled. I, I tried to be quite hands-off. We'll only sort of interfere if... if if something's going wrong yeah otherwise we we just let the juices start by themselves if they decide to go through malolactic we let them go if they don't we don't um we try to uh add as little sulfur as we can that means just waiting it's okay here we can cool the cellar down in winter just by it's cold outside yeah Yeah, it's not a problem open the door yeah uh when the wine's cold, it's preserved pretty well. Yeah. And so generally we don't need to sulfur these wines until maybe two months before bottling. So after 10 months in the cellar, uh, we'll make the first sulfur addition and that's usually enough for bottling as well. The other thing with Chardonnay is we tend to... I put the, the Chardonnay juices go into barrel very dirty, so we don't rack them prior to filling the barrels they the, the juice everything goes in this and then we don't rack the wine mm. until bottling so mm. they're on the leaves a long time they can get a little reductive it, it the wines need a little bit longer to open up so i like that the wine's in bottle for a few years before opening i guess one of the differences here in the vineyard is the chardonnay is all in one single block um, whereas the Pinot Noir is divided into smaller parcels on both hills and also further up the hill as well. So, And each each parcel with different clones, different vine age, so they're all tools in making the blend at the end of the day. Um, the winemaking, again, I, it's reasonably straightforward. Um, we had the stemming, not uh, without crushing trying to keep as much whole berries as we can uh, we occasionally will use a small percentage of whole bunch inside we are uh, fermenting in 1000 litre tanks plastic tanks uh, which we can move around and so the, the benefit is now we've just been crushing some pinot it's cold at night we can leave them outside keep the grapes cool mm-hmm. for 
three or four days before the fermentation starts. Um, again, no added yeast, just waiting and watching. <laughs> and and generally, I I mean, we tend to press off once the ferment's finished. Mm-hmm. We're not waiting for uh, to extract a lot of tannin. I like the wines to be silky, smooth, easy drinking. Yeah, and so generally, the ferment finishes, we press off. It can be anywhere from 16 to 25 days on skins. It just depends what temperature the grapes were when we got them, the temperature of, you know, the ambient temperature and how long it takes to start fermenting and how fast it ferments. Uh, We'll generally plunge them up max twice a day, peak ferment. Otherwise, we are pretty gentle on the extraction. Um... Aging is in in French oak barriques used, uh, so we buy one year old barrels from Burgundy. There's no new oak, and I think the wine doesn't necessarily handle new oak so well. So mm-hmm. we're just looking for the oak to complement the wine and not dominate it in any way. And uh, we are again one year in the barrel without racking you know and sulfur addition is after malolactic but generally malolactic won't start until spring so you're looking at adding sulfur at the end of spring beginning of summer for the first time and that's again we make one addition and it generally gets us through to boiling I think uh, in general the classic we look for a little bit more fruit expression Prestige. We are looking for a little bit more complexity and maybe some savory elements. So uh, you might find a little bit more whole bunch in the prestige. You might find a little bit new, more new oak, uh, newer oak used in the prestige. Not new oak, but you know. Um, and then it's also certain plots perform better than others. So it's not always the same plots, but it's often one or two that are very good but you know depends also on the vintage sometimes the plot that's maybe not performing well one year the next year is performing well we keep everything separate the whole way through so we can look at it at the end and decide is this worthy of the prestige wine or is this for classic this my red is, is a is a blend of Pinot Noir and Syrah so we're looking for that fruit from the Pinot Noir and that spiciness from the Syrah and trying to find a balance between the two to make a bit bigger red wine, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this particular vintage, 2015, is a blend of 60% Syrah and 40% Pinot Noir. Uh, the, the wine was in the barrel for three years. I can't talk about the winemaking, you know, I wasn't here at the time, but I mean, I just, like I said, I was find, trying to find the balance between, you know, the best that Pinot offers mm. and the best Syrah mm. offers. Yeah. I am shortening the time in barrel now, yeah. trying to capture more freshness and let the wine develop in, in bottle rather than in barrel. But that means, of course, releasing it later on to the market. Syrah is right on the edge here. Um, 
we it's the last thing we pick it's 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 a challenge to grow Sarai which is good it's 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 good to be challenged you know um it's definitely cool climate Sarai pepper spice you know uh cloves and cardamom and this kind of spiciness and white pepper yeah and um we knew we uh usually pick mid-october the earliest for sarah yeah it needs time on the vine um so, yeah, as far as the winemaking goes now it's, it's similar to the pinot noir yeah and, and that we're doing it in 1000 liter open fermenters um gentle extraction looking again not too tannic wine silky smooth you know easy drinking wines think if you if you don't mess with it too much you'll you know you get the best results if you try to force it into a certain direction you're you're gonna make a worse wine and so if you just let it go its own way you'll find that in the long term those wines will be more expressive and and better to drink what i love doing and i you know encourage people to do is to is to kind of almost you know as we are here today september 2019 you know where we can only think ahead as best as we can see now you know our thoughts ahead might change tomorrow or next week or the week after you know and and i just yeah it can be you know fairly speculative and every anything can change you know brexit might actually happen you know who knows (laughs) one of these days um and it's just really yeah to kind of almost like throw the door open for you just to to kind of in whatever way makes sense for you kind of look ahead you know like like what are the what are the in a sense, you know, what are the what are the kind of aspirations? What are the what are the wishes? What you know, like, it, but just when I say that to you, you know, what may be coming? You know, what what, what are the things that you would like to, to kind of happen and aspire to as, as a as a team? Well, I can only say what is my point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wish um, that. Uh, more people would be aware how the quality of food and and wine as part of food of nutrition not not as a drink yeah of gastronomy a part of gastronomy that um would recognize uh, that they would know better the reference points um according to which they could they could choose and and uh, assess yeah um, the quality of the wine the quality of I would say the aromas yeah there is a saying that it's a it's a it's a soul food and that's basically we don't have this tradition that for example Tantra has it's a Tantra is 4,000 years old uh, it's coming from the East philosophy they knew 4,000 years ago that uh, the energy of the grape juice feeds mental part of, of our body. So it's the, the head. And our soul that's supposed to be above the head um, is fed by um, 
these very evaporating things, yeah. So it's esters, it's aromas, and so on. So we don't know anything about it. It, it works even if we don't know, yeah. So that people, and especially the young people, would um, would be more cautious about what they put in their in the in themselves, and they would enjoy more, and they would learn to relax more, not to abuse it as an alcohol, as a source of alcohol, but really as a food and inspiration. And um, what I wish for Sanctum is to be one of these reference points. And we will put strengths together and knowledge and everything that we can communicate that, that we can bring this and, and, and provide this as a reference point. So um, it, that it can be one of the milestones on which people can turn and can say, you know, uh, yeah, it is like you can say, um, okay, it tastes like Montrachet, mm. or it tastes like Cotroti, yeah? or it tastes like Puy um, Fossé. Yeah, there are reference points. So uh, that there would be, for example, a reference point, you know, and there is a little spot in that part of the world where the terroir gives this reference point. Yes. I think this um, part of the, the, um, of, uh, the country is very much unknown. But again, it comes with, a, with a, somebody needs to start. Yeah? And it just depends how much strength and courage the person who starts it and knowledge possess. And uh, it couldn't be better person. How much Marco has these um, abilities to to um, promote and to communicate and to to give to so many uh, on so many um, I don't know in so many parts of the world where we visited, people brought, you know, Sanctum bottle out of the cellar. It happened to me in Prague. They knew it. The sommelier came and he said, Mr. Marco, look what we found. And it was, it was the uh, uh, trophy, the, the counter trophy winning um, ice wine from 2007. Pfft, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So people know it, you know. Some people know it. And it comes to, of course, um, Marco, it takes, a, um, I would say, a person to create something like, um, as well, Vinum USA, to create an infrastructure and communication network uh, to, to, to give and promote this part of the world, to give... Uh, um, he stands for these great boutique winer wineries, and he wants he's uh, very much um, open-hearted. Yeah, he really wants people to know about good wines, mm -hmm. not about his, 
Yeah, he's, this is only one part of the, this diapason. He really wants good people and good people to know each other and that things would go on the right, to the right hands. And he did amazing, amazing work. Thank you so much to Spella and Nick. It was an amazing experience to meet you both and tour the cellar. And I think that a visit to the region and to their cellar will leave you in no doubt as to how deep the winemaking roots run in Slovenia. For more information about wine tourism in Slovenia, do please visit enjoy-slovenia.com. To order wines from the series, do be sure to visit findslovenianwine.com. And you can also email Moitza any questions you might have at info at enjoy-slovenia.com. And if you're not already, I would love to have you following along with me on social media, where I'm at Interpreting Wine on Instagram and Facebook, at Wine Podcast on Twitter, and email hello at interpretingwine.com. See you next time.